I'm sure many of you have heard this story, but earlier in the year, I got to travel to Nepal. I was part of a group that did a, uh, a trek, a hike up to the base camp of Mount Everest, and we were doing it to raise money to help plant churches around the world, specifically to help kids that were in need. And one of the cool things about the trip, it was like the other side of the world, and when we got there, the group of us, the first day we landed in Kathmandu, we went down to this local cell phone shop, and it was the national cell phone provider of um, uh, Nepal, and we, uh, we got sick cards to put in our phones, which was crazy because it meant that when we were up in some of the most um, out in the middle of nowhere places up in the mountains, our phones still worked. It was bizarre, like until really until we got to what was the very top towards the base camp Mount Everest, we'd be on the trails and we still had working phones. So in some ways it was cool, in some ways it wasn't so cool. Like here I am in the most beautiful creation, like the middle of nowhere, just taking it all in and, and my watch would buzz and I'd look and it was the ring doorbell had just gone off. And it kind of took away from the, you know, the awe of the moment, you know, that I'm getting notifications on my watch in the Himalayas. So, but what it did mean is that I got to text my family, that most mornings I would get up and I could FaceTime Casey. Uh, there was one day where Will was uh, trying to work out some decisions he had to make and he was kind of stressing a bit. So I called him and I remember walking on the trail. I had my headphones in and for about 20 minutes just having a conversation with my son, 7,700 miles away with a 12-hour time difference, 16,000 feet up in the mountains and talking to my son. So it's so cool that there was that connection there. And you'd think, wouldn't you, that... Um, being able to stay that connected through text and phone and FaceTime, that being away for three weeks wouldn't be that big of a deal. But I tell you, this picture here is my favorite from the trip because this is the moment I arrived back at Chicago O'Hare. And as lovely as it was to be able to talk to Casey every morning by FaceTime to text her, nothing beat standing with her in person after being gone for three weeks. And we're in a series that we're kicking off this morning, and the name of the series is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, it's such a Christmassy word. It's a word that we don't really use much in conversation. It's a Hebrew word, but it literally means God with us. God with us, God present with us. That picture uh, sums up my feelings of that trip because it was nice to be able to communicate with Casey and to text and to FaceTime, but being with her again, being together again, nothing beats that experience. And at Christmas, I love the fact that the heart of what we celebrate at Christmas time is that God chose to come and be with us. Over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to learn that God's plan is to be with us, to be in a relationship with us, to walk with us in the good times and the bads, to be active and present and real in our lives. We're going to look back and we're going to see that from creation to the present day, God is wanting to be with us. And I love focusing in and remembering that at Christmas time. So we're going to start today by looking at this word Emmanuel and, and seeing how it developed over the history of the Bible and up to the time that Jesus was born. Because I'm very aware of the fact that, that oftentimes we talk about uh, characters in the Bible and situations and stories in the Bible. And, and for some of you, you may be aware of the story, but, but you're not sure how it plays into the whole um, arc, the whole storyline of Scripture. So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about Abraham. And um, Abraham was uh, 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. So he was a long time ago, okay? That's, that's when Abraham lived, and then hundreds of years after the life of Abraham, along comes a man by the name of Moses. 
And if you remember Moses, he was the one who delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. He took them into the promised land, and, and that's where Israel really kind of began. Moses took them out, and then a guy named Joshua took them into the promised land, and that's where they, their, their country really started, the, the people of Israel. Hundreds of years after that, there was a king by the name of David. You might remember David. He started out as a shepherd boy. He, he threw a slingshot that killed Goliath, and then he went on to become the king of Israel. And many kings followed after King David. And throughout the reigns of these kings over Israel, there were also these prophets. For the next few hundred years, there were these prophets, and, and they were like the preachers of the day. They were like the preachers who, who heard from God and, and they, they challenged the people of Israel when they did wrong. They spoke out when the people of Israel turned their backs on God. But they also brought hope and comfort and encouragement because God would speak to them and they'd speak to the people of Israel and they would, they would bring hope in the midst of difficult times. So one of those prophets, he lived about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. His name was Isaiah. And Isaiah had all sorts of things that he said and, and things he prophesied. And, and when I say prophesied, he was speaking to the people of Egypt, of Egypt people of Israel and challenging them and, and uh, speaking God's words to them. And listen to one of the things that Isaiah said that was relevant to the people of Israel at the time, but unbeknownst to Isaiah, was also a, a foreshadowing, a, a, a prophecy of what was to come. And you'll recognize this phrase because it's a very uh, familiar verse that we read a lot at Christmas time. It's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God speaks to a prophet by the name of Isaiah. He speaks to Israel, and he speaks of this, this coming event. Someone that will be born, his name will be Emmanuel. A virgin will conceive this child. So now we jump 700 years to, to the present or to the time that Jesus was born, and listen to um, the moment that Joseph, the father of, of Jesus, Mary's husband, the, the moment he found out that his bride's-to-be, Mary, they're not married yet, but his bride-to-be is pregnant. Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 through 24. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. But as he was considering this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph Son of David, the same David that we were talking about earlier, the angel said, uh, and he obviously wasn't his literal son, he was the generation, you know, you are, your, your uh, genealogy goes all the way back to David. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophets, Isaiah, remember? Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up from this dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. Matthew is pointing out here to Joseph, no, no, Joseph, this is what we've been waiting for. What God promised hundreds of years ago, a journey that began with Abraham and, and has led all the way up to this present day has come to pass. Emmanuel, God is with us. This was one of the names given to Jesus. You shall call him Emmanuel because his very presence here on earth literally means God with us in the flesh. This baby 
who would grow up to become a man, who would eventually die on a Roman cross, only to be raised from the dead. He should be called Emmanuel, God with us. And we're going to be talking about this over the next four weeks in our Christmas series because it's such a central part of the Christmas story. It's been spoken about for hundreds of years. You may be familiar with the hymn or carol that we sing at Christmas time called, O Come, Emmanuel. We're going to play the opening part of that, that carol this morning as I continue to tell you about this hymn. It's a beautiful hymn. If you've not sung it, if you've not sung it as a carol, you're, you'll be familiar with the song and the words. Do you know the roots of this carol can be traced all the way back to a Latin hymn that was written in the 8th or 9th century. Monks used to gather for seven days before Christmas and they would sing what was called the O Antiphons. It's a Latin phrase for a, a set of phrases and words they would say. And in the 1800s, a man by the name of John Mason Neal, he translated these phrases into English. And the very first phrase, this Latin phrase that started out, this, this um, chorus they would sing was, um, draw nigh, draw nigh, Emmanuel. Veni, veni, which is Latin for come, draw nigh, Emmanuel. Over the next couple of hundred years, their music was added to this song. The words were developed more, and this is how we land at this song today. O come, O come. Emmanuel. It's a beautiful song and a beautiful carol. And we've been singing it for 1,200 years now. For 1,200 years, people have been singing, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. So my goal this morning and the weeks leading up to Christmas is this, that with the help of the Spirit of God, my prayer is that you'll be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is and that God was and that God wants to still be with us even moving forward into the future. He wants to be with you because he is Emmanuel. And maybe you're here this morning and you're visiting or you're here at the uh, invitation of a family member or a friend and you may have never experienced God with you in this way. This may seem like a, a foreign concept, the idea that God wants to be with us. So you've pitched him as somebody who's a distant figure, far away. In fact, there could even be others of you here this morning who have decided to follow Jesus. You've, you've made a decision to put him in the center of your life and follow him, but still sometimes it doesn't feel like he's with you. There can be moments in your life where it can feel like he just seems so far away. And I'm gonna be honest with you, somebody, as someone who's followed Jesus for a long time now, oftentimes one of the things I've learned is sometimes it's easier to see him with us in the rearview mirror. As you look back over your life, you see the evidence of him being with you. And sometimes it doesn't feel like he's with you in the moment. But as you look back, you see that he was with you. At Christmas, we talk a lot about Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus. But there was another Joseph in the Bible. And he lived hundreds of years before uh, Jesus was born. And Joseph, his story is amazing. It's a great story of a, uh, a man who uh, grew up in a family with 11 brothers. And uh, it turns out he was his dad's favorite. His dad gave him this beautiful multicolored coat. And all his brothers despised him because it was so obvious that he was dad's favorite. So one day they, they throw him into this pit and they go back and they tell their dad, oh, he's been uh, eaten and uh, he's been captured. And his dad's heartbroken and distraught. But then they feel guilty. So they decide to get him out of the pit. And instead they sell him into slavery in Egypt. 
Egypt. And uh, here he is in Egypt. And, and he's really wrestling with this because when he was a young boy, he had these dreams that he was going to be great and God had great plans for his life and um, that his brothers were going to bow down to him. And that went down really well when he told his brothers that story. Hey, you're all going to bow down to me. It's going to be awesome. So uh, just a real spot little boy. But, but Joseph goes on to have these dreams and, and he helps the Pharaoh and he helps the Pharaoh head off a famine and it's just an amazing story. But there's one verse I love right in the middle of Joseph's story all the way back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Because Joseph has this roller coaster of a life. He's his dad's favorite, then he's his slave. Then he gets to be in the, um, the, the Potiphar's household. He's the head servant. Then he gets challenged and accused of a crime he didn't commit. Then he finds himself in prison. So it's just ups and downs all through Joseph's life. And listen to this verse in Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Right in the middle of the story of Joseph, there's this, this small verse that says, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. I think there are some of us here this morning who are in a prison in our life. Whatever it might be, whatever we're going through, we just feel like we are just locked up in a prison because of what's going on in our life. And I wanna promise you that that word to Joseph thousands of years ago is as true today as it was then, that God is with you in your prison. God is with you in your darkest times. Whatever you're going through, God is with you. That he has always wanted to be present in our lives. He wants in the future. But even right now, God is with us. And again, as Casey and I look in the rear view mirror of our lives, as we look back over situations in our life, we can see how God has been with us. When we were first married, before we had children, um, shortly after getting married, we had to go and meet with an attorney in Chicago to secure all my green card information because I was going from being on a, a temporary visa to now being a, a spouse, a uh, marriage to an American. So I remember meeting with this attorney up in Chicago and he was going through all of our paperwork and as he got to the line where it showed how much money I earned and how much money Casey earned, he said, this can't be right. <laughs> I said, no, that's, that's, that's about it. <laughs> He said, well, this means you're living below the poverty line. I didn't know this till then, but that was great to know. Now we officially, according to this attorney, we're living below the line of poverty. But we talked about it after this case tonight because it was like, but we don't feel like that because God has met our needs. And in our life, we, we had a lovely house that we were living in and our needs were being met. And we realized God is providing for us. And as we look back in the rearview mirror of our lives, I can see that God has been with us. He's provided for us financially, that he has met our needs over the years. When Ben, our oldest son, when he was born, um, he had seizures as a baby. He had these febrile seizures. And I remember the very first one that it happened, it was just terrifying for us. And then a few more happened throughout his infancy, and it was just such difficult times for us as parents. But looking back, it was so clear now, it is so clear now that God was with us through those moments. Casey has had some health stuff, and we again look back and see how God was with us as a family. And sometimes in the midst of these difficult situations, we, we may not fully realize, but as you look back, as you look back, you see the presence of God with us. And listen to what the angel said to Mary when he first appeared to give her the news. Luke chapter one, verse 28. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And we skip over that verse, I'm sure, as we read it, you know, read what the angel said. But there's such a lot in that verse. The Lord is with you. 
Because I wonder if at the end of her life, Mary looks back. Mary looks back to that encounter with the angel when he said, the Lord is with you. And she realized how much she needed to know that in that moment. Because she was about to go through a pregnancy as an unwed mother. She was going to give birth to this baby in a, a, a shelter where animals went to eat. She was going to discover that there was a plot by a king to kill all the children that were born in this area. And they had to run for their lives. She would see this baby grow up to become a young man. She would be with him at a wedding when he performed his first miracle and turned water into wine. She would see him at the height of his popularity where everyone wants to be around her son. Her son that she'd raised. She would see him teaching and, and ministering to the outcasts of society and bringing hope and love and a message that, of salvation and this wonderful kingdom that he was bringing. Then she would see the tides turn as the religious leaders would start to, to persecute him and accuse him and eventually arrest him and try him. She would, be, she would remember the time looking back that God was with her as she looked on as her son was crucified on a cross. She would have remembered God being with her on that, that second day where she was questioning everything. It seemed that all of Jesus' plans had gone awry because he'd been killed. She would remember God being with her on that third day where she went to the tomb and found it empty. She would remember God being with her in person when she saw the resurrected Jesus come back to life. And I wonder if at the end of her life, she looked back at every single one of those occasions, the good and the bad. And she says, you know, I remember the angel saying to me, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And I've seen him with me throughout my entire life. And I want you to know this morning, he wants you to experience that same knowledge in your hearts that God is with you. Emmanuel, God is with us. You know, maybe you're here this morning and this sounds wonderful. It almost sounds believable. I'd love to believe that God wants to be with me, wants to be present in my life. But Dave, if you knew me, if you knew some of the stuff in my life, if you know some of the stuff that, that I'm going through right now, I don't think God would wanna be with me. I think there are some things in my life that maybe I'm not proud of that, that would, would push God away from me. Let me just tell you something about God's love this morning. This is important we understand this because it, it plays into that idea of God's presence, God with us. I remember years ago being with a friend of mine back in England. He's a minister as well. And we were talking about this idea of God being with us, God's love for us. And we were talking about just how blown away we were, just, just knowing how, how the Bible calls the word sin, how sinful we are, you know, the, the mess we make of our lives, the things we do wrong, the, the mistakes we make, and yet still, despite that, God chooses to be with us. We just couldn't wrap our heads around it, how God could love us so much that despite the mess of our lives, he still wants to be with us. And my friend, his name was Mark, he told me a story, he said, just recently I was talking to this friend of mine and he told me this story about something that happened in his family. And it was just such a great picture of God's love for us. God wants to be with us. 
The story he told was of a friend of his. It was a family, a young couple uh, with two smaller sons. And uh, the couple, I think it was the dad, his father um, was getting sicker and sicker. He was starting to get some dementia and uh, he couldn't really look after himself. So it was a family that made the decision to allow granddad to come and live with them. So granddad came and stayed in their house and they looked after him and his health was declining and declining and uh, his condition was getting worse and worse and they had to look after him quite a long time. And granddad, this guy would tell the story, had false teeth. So one of the things that granddad had to do every night was take his teeth out and put them in a glass by the side of his bed and he had some cleaning solution that he put in there with them and then in the morning he put his teeth back in again and they were all fresh and clean. But because of his decline in health and his dementia, some nights he'd forget to take his teeth out. Maybe a day or two, maybe three days. My friend said that his friends told him, he said, I'd come home from work some days and as I walked in, I'd say, oh, granddad forgot to take his teeth out, didn't he? She's like, yeah, I can eat it. He goes, oh, I smelt it. As soon as I came in the door, I could smell granddad's teeth. They'd be like, granddad, tonight we've got to make sure you take your teeth out. Got to give them a clean. Because as the days went on, if he didn't take him out, the smell just got worse and worse. He said one night, they were sat in the living room together watching TV. Mum and dad, the boys, granddad in his chair. And it turns out it'd been a few days, quite a few days. I mean, they were sat there and the smell was pretty bad. He said, all right, boys, it's time to go to bed. Say, say good night to granddad, time to go to bed. His boys, I think at the time, were like six and eight. So the eight-year-old said, bye, granddad, night, and ran off up to bed. And the dad said, I watched my youngest son. He walked up to granddad, he said, good night, granddad. And as he walked up, he went, <gasps> and he held his breath and he leant in and he gave granddad a big kiss on the lips. And then he came away, <gasps> and went back up to bed. He said he went up a bit later to tuck his sons in and to pray with them and say good night. And when he got to his six-year-old's bed, he said, hey, I wanna tell you, mate, that was really sweet of you. That was really nice that you gave your granddad a kiss. Because I know when he leaves his teeth in for a long time, it can be pretty rough. So that was really kind of you. And he said his son just kind of looked confused. And he looked back up at his dad and he said, but dad, why wouldn't I? He's my granddad. I love him. And that picture to me just shows God's love for us. The stench of the wrong that we do in our lives, the things in our lives that we're not ashamed of, that, that we feel like will distance us from God. We can't imagine that he'd ever want to be present in our lives, that he'd ever want to be with us. But he loves us. <laughs> and despite the fact that this sin is abhorrent to God, Jesus, who we celebrate at Christmas, came and died in our place so that those sins could be forgiven. Emmanuel means God with us. And for the next few weeks, we're gonna celebrate that 2,000 years ago, he truly was with us. He walked in the flesh for 33 years. He walked amongst us. But over the next few weeks, we're gonna learn that he was with us before Jesus came in the flesh. He was with us when Jesus walked the earth and he's been with us since the death and resurrection of Jesus that for the last 2,000 years, we have thousands of stories of God being with us over the centuries as the church continued to grow and spread throughout the world. And this morning, he's right here in Washington, Illinois. He is still Emmanuel, God with us.
There's nothing in your life that would get in the way of him wanting to be with you this morning. The only thing would be if you turn your back to him. So this morning, I hope and pray that whether it's today or in the weeks to come, you'll make that decision to say, God, I want to be with you because I know you want to be with me. I want you to be the center of my life. I don't want you to just be a part of my life, maybe something that I show up on a Sunday. I want you to be right with me every day, every hour, every part of my life. Because this morning, if it feels like God is a long way away, that may not be his doing. That could be yours. Because he is ready and willing and wants to be close to you. He wants to be Emmanuel, God with you. But he's waiting to be invited. At the end of the service, Justin's going to come up in a second and just share some closing announcements. But after that, uh, we have a team who will be just down here to my right, your left, uh, available to pray. There may be something going on in your life right now and you just would love someone to say a prayer with you about a situation, um, about a, a family member, whatever it might be, they'd love to say a prayer with you. But maybe this morning, you're at that place of saying, well, I, I believe the idea of Emmanuel, God with us, but I don't feel him with me. And I'd like to experience God with me. They'd love to pray with you this morning. Help you pray a prayer of invitation to say, God, would you be with me this Christmas time? Would you be with me personally in my life? They would love to pray that prayer with you. So I hope you'll take that opportunity. But let's all pray together. Father, thank you so much that as we uh, close out Thanksgiving and start to move towards Christmas time, it gives us that opportunity to focus in on all the wonderful uh, stories of the Christmas season, Lord. And Father, I pray that as we hear over the coming weeks about shepherds and wise men and angels and uh, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, that in the heart of all of it, Lord, will be this running theme that, God, you are Emmanuel. Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. And that as this Christmas season continues on, this will be something that every one of us can say. We can say, we, we've experienced God with us. We know what it's like to, to have God with us personally in our lives. I pray this will be true of everyone here who hears my voice this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.